0: Today on the Orton-Gillingham podcast, we're chatting with Cheryl Gardner, an educator from Florida with 30 years of classroom experience. After graduating from the University of Central Florida, Cheryl initially taught high school English for two years. Due to budget cuts, she was moved to second grade and like many of us, found herself looking for resources on how to teach reading. She found BrainSpring and the rest is history. Cheryl is with us today to discuss Getting buy-in from older students who need Orton-Gillingham intervention. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We're so happy that you're joining us, and so nice to see your face. (laughs) It's been it's been a little a hot minute since I've gotten to see any of you guys. (laughs) I know. Me too. So, how are things going down in Florida? Things are. You're not allowed to brag too much about the weather.
1: Okay. Well, since the weather is absolute garbage right now, I won't brag about the weather right now, Okay, but um, it's going good. It's um, so this year uh, is, I don't know how, if anybody knows, but this year is different for all of us, especially me. Um, For the last couple of years, I've been an instructor for BrainSpring, and I've been traveling around and doing lots of trainings and loving it. And um, this year when COVID hit, I kind of saw it as a, Curse slash gift because I needed one more year in the classroom to be able to earn my, um, my, draw my retirement. So I decided that this was the year because it just seemed like that was the appropriate thing that how things were going to work out this year. So I went back in the classroom and um, for my final year and it became a little bit of a different year as I'm sure so many people because. I started. Um, I was hired by a middle school, and um, although I have taught middle school um, in the past, it was middle school English, and uh, it was one of those things I swore I would never do again. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of shocked even myself when I took the job in middle school. Um, I interviewed with some uh, high school, which I've taught high school before. I interviewed with high school. I've interviewed. I interviewed with elementary, which I taught for a very long time. Uh, but the middle school just seemed like the best fit, so I took the job teaching middle school and with with the caveat that my principal would let me do what I needed to do. And that's kind of why I decided to go ahead with the, the job that I did, because he did give me permission to teach what I needed to teach and that's not always the case in Florida. <laughs> um, Florida or anywhere, really. <laughs> we have the very, um, you must teach the standards. And even if it's intensive reading and my kids can't reach the standards because they can't access the text, that has not been allowed. And so my principal was very clear and I was pretty clear with him that that's what I wanted to do, uh, that I wanted to use Orton-Gillingham strategies with my kids. Cause I know that was what was keeping them from being able to access text, And he was fine with that and, and actually very encouraging. So it just felt like the right fit. And I went back. And so this year I've been working with, um, seventh couple, a few seventh graders, but mostly eighth graders. And all of them are below in reading anywhere from, uh, well below in reading. I have some that read on a first grade level all the way to some that are barely below reading on a seventh grade level, you know, and, um, in addition to that I actually have been reading rereading the new edition of um Shaywitz's book uh, mm. overcoming dyslexia and it's just so funny because I see so many like I'll, I'll go oh I have to share this with my kids <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I there's so many different things I want to share with them just because it so much applies to their situation mm-hmm. so it has been a really interesting year and um, at the beginning, I had um, mostly online. We 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 have been back in person learning
2: since,
1: uh, since the beginning. They did one week of everybody did one week of online learning to start, and they rolled into the classroom. And so we've been in the classroom. And about at first, it was I had three online class or three in person classes and three online classes, and. Uh, it slowly evolved. More and more kids came back. We had so many kids who just were not successful online at all. You know, not because of the teaching environment, but just because of that self motivation that's so important. Mm. And they didn't have it, and they didn't have a lot side of out, lot of outside motivation. And so, so many of the kids really struggle with the online learning. And so we did. So slowly, they have transitioned back. And now I have four online or four in person classes and just two online classes. And my two online classes are about 15 kids now. So they've got the, 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 there's been a drastic change in the, in the classes. Um, One of my classes is a hybrid class where I have six in-person kids and six online kids. And well, that one is a challenge.
0: Yeah. I've actually heard that like, cause my husband teaches and he's done the online and the in-person and right now they're doing hybrid and he's like, it's actually the most difficult one to do without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. It, it is. And it, it kind of has fallen into
1: a little bit of a rhythm because there are my, it's interesting. My online kids are actually barely below. And so, um, they don't have a great deal of difficulty with decoding. And so I really am kind of forced to pick and choose the things that those kids need the most. So my online kids, we do a lot of the, uh, structures, uh, the Greek and Latin roots, because these kids are getting so close to being on grade level. And some of them have actually kind of made that jump onto what would be considered on grade level, according to their Lexiles. And so, um, vocabulary is huge with those kids. And so we've done a lot with the Greek and Latin roots with them, whereas my in-person kids are without a doubt tier three (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so with those kids we have done a lot of more of the the phonics and the decoding in addition to the vocabulary but just so much with decoding because that's been their biggest struggle
0: have you seen like quite a bit of progress with those students who were at the lowest end of things
1: yes yeah actually i've seen probably the most progress with those kids um, oh, good. Yeah. When I started out this year, it was, I came in a little bit into the school year. It was about a month into the school year. they had already started. And, um, so there was a little bit, okay. There was a lot of transition <laughs> time and, uh, it was, you know, it was a little bit of a battle to get them to buy in. Uh, they had been fed pretty much just test test passages and questions test passage and questions for the entire time and here here i want them to come in and i want them to spell and so you know it was a big transition at first uh had to do quite a bit of buying in, you know buy in type things to get them started uh, but i will say by now they are they're they're invested they're like okay yeah okay we can see a difference it's working it's it's a little bit more difficult than I would like. Of course it always is, but um, because there's such a vast difference and my groups are really large.
2: So Cheryl, um, when you, when you went back into the classroom um, was one of the caveats to be able to teach Orton Gillingham um, to your students. And is that basically what you're teaching them or Uh, Orton-Gillingham methods, um, and then have they ever seen those before?
1: So I am in Hillsborough County, Florida, and that's the Tampa area is where I work. Yes. And it's really interesting because this year BrainSpring or the last two years, BrainSpring actually cha- trained all of yes. the elementary teachers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So all of the elementary special education teachers in our district have been trained with Orton-Gillingham strategies, but none of my kids. Mm-hmm. So none of my students have actually had those strategies. And so, no, this was like... completely new world to them Mm -hmm. so that was a little bit of a challenge because they had no clue and I am principally using um structures as my curriculum uh we are again there's that requirement word we're required to do um also the standards Uh and so I have kind of slid in okay well here's the standard but I'm going to the level <laughs> that my kids need and so I've had to kind of take it back down a bit um and mostly because not because they can't think because all of my kids are you know really you know bright kids sure. there it's mostly because they're struggling with decoding right. and so we've focused a huge amount on decoding and encoding and um Interestingly enough, I have some kids. uh, One of the things that Shaywitz talks about is kids who have compensated so well to read above grade level. And one of my kids that just came back, literally just came back into in-person learning, and the kid is reading at about an 11th grade level. Um, So why he's an intensive reading, I'm not entirely sure, but um, he is self-proclaimed, and he's absolutely right. He is dyslexic, and he is just. So, so bright that he has the most ridiculous compensation strategies in the entire world. Mm. And he is able to talk his way around everything, exceptional vocabulary but when we started talking, he's like, what, you want me to spell? I can't spell. And I said, well, let me tell you why. And I kind of gave him a little bit of background about how, you know, this is really the decoding and encoding two sides of the same coin. And, you know, I explained to him the science behind it. Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, let's go, let's do it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, there's, there's such a variety of kids in there. It's just, it's crazy. So I have seen some really exceptional progress with my lowest kids. And then, um, about Christmas time, I had I started actually with with these kids because we I had to get so much buy-in. We started with decoding multisyllable words. And I often find, um, and even in the past when I've done structures, I find that that's the biggest hook for most of the kids is they can't they can't decode multisyllable words. So if I give them that strategy to start out with, they're like, okay, maybe she knows what she's doing. And so, um, I, I started with that. And so we started and it did, it got the buy-in that I needed that, that they were willing to, 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 to bear with me through some of the stuff that they didn't need because in my groups at first were 30 kids. Um, and so the kids who, really don't need a lot of those skills. We started with block two because that's really where they, most of them were. But I had some kids who did really well with block two and I was kind of forced to go, just stick with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I know this is not exactly what you need, but the vast majority of them do. Yes. So, um, but those kids who we started with decoding and um, just that simple, you know, Um, mathematical formula, vowel, consonant, consonant, vowel, split, you know, um, for some of them made all the difference. And they really uh, were able to then start decoding multisyllable words. They picked up with their fluency. They probably truly weren't dyslexic. They had just not developed that strategy of reading those multisyllable words. And so um, about Christmas time, they were doing some restructuring of the classes. uh, And about, I think out of my kids that were in my class Twenty-three kids were actually moved out because they're they had improved their reading levels so much that um, they were deemed not necess- not needing intensive reading wow. anymore. So nice to go, yay, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yay, Str- <laughs> way to
0: go, teach. Yeah, so it was it was that was
1: really it, it was really pleasing for me for that because a lot of them, it was just that big jump of okay now I can read those boards that I didn't have a clue as to how to figure them out. So that was a big that was actually happy, happy accident kind of thing, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, that was not my necessarily, okay, you're, I'm going to fix you and you can get out it was not my goal, but yeah. it, it kind of worked out that way. Yeah. So
0: my class- think of what the difference it's going to make knowing now that they're getting it in elementary school. And then once they get to middle school, how different those groups are yeah. going to be, because they would have already had that for so yeah. long exactly. that they, they'll learn it right away. Yeah.
1: And Florida did restructure. Um, we've gotten a finally officially gotten rid of common core. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had, we had ditched common core standards before. Um, but now I think it's more official because they're coming out next year with what are called the best standards mm-hmm. and the best standards for intensive reading and anyway, I haven't seen all of them, but the intent, uh, the best standards for intensive reading are actually have to do with, they start out with foundational skills. And then it goes from foundational skills to breaking those more complex ideas down into their little parts. And so if we can get the teachers to tra- be trained in, <laughs> in, in how to meet those needs, then it will really be a good thing.
3: I do want you to elaborate on what, the process, what exactly you did with the students to get them to buy in? Was it information from Shaywick's book or did you teach them about dyslexia? You know, we do a lot of that in our courses as instructors. Did you use some of those same methods that we use with teachers to really teach them about what the core issues are in order for them to buy in?
0: Especially because you said you had a lot of students that probably didn't have dyslexia. So what do you have like? I think that's a great question, Sam, because I was wondering the same thing. But she had a lot of students that didn't have it. So then what what do you say to those students too? Well, I actually that's a great question, Sam, because
1: that's exactly that was my biggest question. Go, okay, like I know with in trainings a million times. That's what I always start with is like, what, why do you need this? And so that's kind of where I went with the kids too. Um, I did pre-assessment. I went in and I pre-assessed. That was the first thing. Um, Good number of them. I will say probably about three fourths of them, although they did not like, yeah, I've always said, I can't tell you whether you have dyslexia or not. Uh, Most of them I would probably we won a million money on. Yes. That was the answer. You know, if I was a betting person, I would say, yeah, that you probably did. Um, You definitely had characteristics of dyslexia because about 75% of them with block two um, had major struggles with block two. Then there was, I would say maybe a handful that didn't have problems with block two, but once we got into block three still had issues. So there was absolutely nobody in the group that did not have gaps that were in either block two or block three.
3: Well, what did, what did you elaborate with them on as far as to give them hope or to understand that we can work through this problem and these are the things that I can do with you? Did you have to give them a lot of, because it's a really yes. a matter of trusting you and you know I'll do what you asked me to do, but I need to trust you that you're mm-hmm. leading me down the right path you know, because I'm sure kids at that age have experienced so much failure, so many roadblocks that now they just, and and I still
1: encounter that to some extent, but I have, you think about it, they have been in intervention, most of these kids since first grade. And so nine years of failed intervention and it's, it is, it's a tough battle, but I actually started with um, the Kelly Sandman video uh, so, because I love that video. So I started with the Kelly Sandman video and then I just kind of said, okay, this is, and then I broke that down even further. And I, I will say that reading, rereading the Shaywitz book, um, one of the things that struck me the most, and so many of my kids have this. And so I said, well, how many of you do this? You know, and I would throw things out there and they were like, oh, that's me. And, um, and where we did like, and I did it as um, a cahoot, so it was completely anonymous because I, yeah, I didn't really want them to. Oh, I have dyslexia. I don't have dyslexia. You know, I didn't really yeah, want no, to that's get a into great that. Idea. So we did it as a cahoot. Like, how many of you misspell this word? You know, how many of you have ever misspelled the word does? <laughs> you know, how many of you have used a silent e on a word because you didn't know? what letter you know to add what what spelling to add so you just added an e to
3: the end of it <laughs> and things like that just pull yeah and they can also see that others struggle the same way they do so they're not embarrassed so to speak that are feeling like they're the only one in the world that this has happened to them that's awesome. yeah
1: and then and then well the, the Shaywitz books like had me add questions like do you read better silently than you do out loud do mm-hmm. you occasionally say the wrong, like know the word you want to use, but it comes out completely wrong and things like that. That just like things that I had not thought about as being characteristics of dyslexia, but they really are. Um, And so that was the first thing. And once I had like these majority, I mean, and so my yes polls were like this and then the nos were, you know, very small. And so that was, that was a big part of it because they, nobody had ever really ever said to them before, like, this is, this is what the problem is. You know, they kept giving them more passages and <laughs> more passages. And, and I said, I, I can give you passages till the cows come home and it's not going to get you good. And um, I kind of used um, the metaphor of, you know, building a house. And if you are building a house, and if you have that weak foundation, mm-hmm. then you know, you're going to build walls. I said, by the time you put on your roof, it's going to fall down. And so some of you have a, you know, really solid foundation, um, but your walls are weak weak, or you might have, but, and so what happens is it's not a comprehension problem and it's not a, um, it's not a um, thinking problem and intelligence problem. And I think that was really reassuring for a lot of them is like, you are all smart because when I read things out loud, you get it and you can answer, you know, you can tell me what the theme is and that's not an issue. I said that, so it's not a thinking problem. And so some of them were, you know, kind of validated in that they were intelligent human beings. And, um, I give a lot of examples. My son is dyslexic, and so he kind of was a great deal of the driving force behind me ever getting involved with horton gillingham and Brainspring because um he was in elementary school struggling and it really bothered me and so i went that was my kind of my my motivation for hunting for something that would help him and uh, and he was by far not the only student in our school struggling and so he is a student. He never, he, he reads, he reads much better. um highly than he does out loud. He does, he, he does use the wrong word. And he, it was funny because when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh. And he is one that he'll say the right thing out loud, um, but he doesn't, or he will say the wrong word out loud, but the right word is in his head. And we always thought he would just, you know, it was vocabulary, but he's got a tremendous vocabulary. And so there was a lot of things that And I told him, I said, listen, you, my son is, he's gifted, but he's also dyslexic and he's always struggled with reading and he always has struggled and he never liked to read. And I was that mom who actually went and sat in a high school classroom because he was going to do it. (laughs) And I said, and I'm going to be that person for you. And I said, I'm going to be that person who's going to be annoying as heck. And I'm going to be here and I'm going to, we're going to fill in these bottom foundations of the house and some of it you may need and some of it you may not, but none of the practice is going to hurt you. And so we talked about building in that foundation and, and, um, and then as they could see, especially the spelling, because so many of them, the spelling has increased. And we are probably about midway through block three with the kids that now, and their block two spelling is pretty darn solid. And they, even their, other spelling has increased because now they know to spell one syllable at a time and not to try to spell the whole word at the time, and um, so they have seen the improvements now. And so I get much more buy-in. But initially, it came through just absolutely talking them about reality. This is reality. This is your last shot.
2: They, they, they can understand. They know what what re- they know what reality is, and they know when they're being snowballed and they know they're, they these are smart kids. They're older and they just want us to be honest with them. You know, they just want us to say, Hey, this is what is going on. And this is how I'm going to teach you and be, use the right terminology and make it as um, scientific as you can make it because they appreciate that. And, and yeah, that's, that's the way to get buy-in with those with high schoolers Treat them like adults because they basically are. And you what know? a confidence
0: booster. Um, Knowing yeah. that you're not alone, seeing your own progress yeah. and not yes. feeling like you're stupid or something is wrong with you or, you know, because I had right. students in middle school that I had worked with and that was always a struggle. So once you had the buy-in and you could see their confidence going up and that mm-hmm. makes a huge difference, huge yeah,
2: you can have a, a real earnest face to face real conversation with uh, with kids who are in high school because um, it's it's it, because you know they they, they know what's ha- they know that they can't read they know that they're struggling um, you don't have to convince them um, that, that, you know, they don't need to, that, that reading is important. They know reading is important because none of them are happy about not being able to read. Mm -hmm. None of them are. And so as soon as you get honest with them and, and they, they understand and, and, and buy in as as Sam was talking about, buy into that sincerity, Mm -hmm. um, that you are sincere about wanting to help them to read and, um, and they, then you, then, you know, they'll, They'll do what you ask them to do. I mean, I've, I've seen it over and over. It's awesome to see. but but Sam uh, uh, Cheryl, what I would love to hear um, is you know, kind of backtrack about when you were talking about your son. Um, so you sought out a structured literacy program because you knew that was what he needed. How? Um, how did you go about finding that and, uh, how did that evolve into, um, what, what you're doing now? Well, I will
1: say it took a little bit of divine intervention <laughs> because, um, I didn't necessarily even know I needed structured literacy because when I came from high school, I mean, I had sure I could teach Shakespeare. I could quote Chaucer in Middle English, but I had no clue as to how to teach reading. And honestly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the people I was working with, they would tell me what they did, but not one single person could tell me how to actually teach reading. They would go, this is what I do but nobody really knew. And th- I mean, this is back in the nineties and, and, you know, nobody really knew anything about reading and it was frustrating me because I wanted No one took, um, graduate classes. Cause of course I had to take so many classes to get certified to teach elementary school. And I was taking graduate classes and I so, so well remember my one professor and it was a uh, graduate level reading class at the university at university of central Florida, actually. And, um, I would ask her and she was, she was teaching us to do all of these assessments and she would teach us like how to do the DRA and, and all of, you know, the entire alphabet of, of assessments. And every single time we finished the assessment, I was like, okay, I know how to give the assessment. Now I know this kid's disfluent. What do I do about it? And she would just keep reassuring. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. And she never got there. (laughs) And she never got there because I don't think she honestly knew what to do about him. She just knew what to, you know, how to say what was wrong, but she didn't know what to do about it. And so I didn't know that we really needed structured literacy. I just knew my kid couldn't read. And here he is, he's gifted. He started speaking in complete sentences at about a year old. And, you know, he, he was so verbal. And I was like, why, you know, I, I thought for sure he would be this easy, easy reader. And he struggled so much and he couldn't spell. And I mean, every single thing I read about is, you know, a symptom of dyslexia. And I didn't know that's what it was. All I knew is I thought, okay, we need phonics. That's the first thing my school didn't teach phonics. Okay. So we need some phonics in here. We need some foundational skills in here. So um, I was doing that mad scramble to write a grant before the grant money was sent back to the state, you know, that, (laughs) that Thursday before the Friday when it all goes back. And so I was literally in the uh, and madly typing out a grant and, Um, I needed a quote. And this is where the divine intervention comes in. I needed a quote for training our staff so that I could submit for the grant. And um, we were at the time using the Lexia CRT as a diagnostic tool. And yeah, so we could find out what the problems were and where the gaps were. Nothing to do about it, though. And so, so I literally, and I'm sure this was way back before. I mean, in the early stages of uh, of uh, search engines, even. But whatever search engine it was, I searched um, Lexia CRT phonics and teacher training. Brainspring popped up, and because at the time BrainSpring was very much connected with Lexia. And so um, I gave a phone call and <laughs> it was a few years ago. This is about 20 some odd years ago. And the company was really small at the time. <laughs> and I do believe it was Lori, um, our director, our vice president now, um, that answered the phone. And um, she's like, oh yeah, I can get you a quote. Literally prepared something and sent it right down. And it all like, that's why I say divine intervention, because, you know, it all just rolled together. I got the grant, they came down, they trained us and, um, they trained our school. And I can remember so many schools. Um, our school is a little, um, not quite country school, but not really a um, city school, somewhere between suburban and uh, rural somewhere in there between. And, um, but but relatively high poverty at the time and even more so now But they um they came down they trained us and I can remember so well people from the district everywhere coming in and like what are y'all doing with these kids (laughs) because it did make such a huge difference Mm -hmm. with the population at our school
2: and that probably helped you understand Lexia better too because we were very connected with them um uh I used to, when I used to do trainings in the early days, um, we had a Lexia rep that would, uh, or a salesperson often would come to the training and talk about Lexia. Um, so we were very connected. So that was a perfect search that you did, um, because that, that's perfect. It, that, that worked awesome.
1: It did. Cause it gave us the, you know, it, we could tell where the gaps were.
2: Yeah. But we just didn't
1: have a clue as to what to do with them. And so then we and I remember, um, of course, I was in there and I had been teaching probably about seven years, but, you know, somewhere around there. And, um, so I was still relatively new to the game. And um, but I remember so well, all of these teachers in the room who had been teaching for so long, my friend Janet, who had been teaching about 25 years by that point and her sitting there and saying, how come nobody ever told me this before? I have been teaching all this time and no one's ever told me this before. And just-
2: well, That's a commentary on our teacher teacher uh, certification programs all, uh, across the board. After, after 20 years, it's still
3: not any better. What is going right. on? You know what is so- and what's it's, so yes, surprising yes. is the reaction that those teachers gave <laughs> Evelyn and Lori so many years ago with overheads is still the same reaction we even get today with PowerPoints and with what we're gonna do. Why have I never learned this? Why? Well, I mean, and it, I mean, there's so many teachers and trainings that I do that'll go, "Oh my well, gosh, if I would just know that one spelling my rule." Theory? you know, I'll I'll get on my, I'm getting on my soapbox for a second.
0: Just like what Cheryl was saying, like in her class that she took, even though at that time, the philosophy was whole language, she was in a college course. And that was what they taught. Well, yeah, you have these professors who are at these colleges, and they get tenure, and there's they stay there until the end of their career. So they teach the same philosophy over and over. So now, all of those professors are just finally starting to retire and but none of all of the research was being disregarded in that way so teachers taking those courses I learned that in my courses and now because I went to Michigan State and I thought oh it's you know number one for teaching and that's why I'm gonna go and the first time I was in a classroom I'm like I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, how to teach you. I could do a great picture walk, but I have no idea how to actually how to read. And uh, it was encouraging. And last summer, there were a handful Mm -hmm. of brand new teachers who said, oh, yeah, I had to take this kind of course that was required for graduating and my teaching classes. And I'm like,
3: I think
0: my philosophy might be right.
3: (laughs) Well, and going back to, you know, what we were talking about before with uh, being a being very meta metacognitive with the kids and just really teaching them about how their own brain works. That's one of the most favorite part of our courses that we do now with teachers. We teach them about the reading brain and how the brain reading brain how kids learn to read and, you know, what processes work here and there, what parts of the lesson go with this process. And they are, they have the same reaction that the kids do. I mean, the buy-in is just huge. It's just, it hooks them Mm -hmm. right there. But uh, I really think that metacognitive piece is just huge about just being very in anything you teach nowadays. And so, when you were doing that with your students, the resources that you used—you use—it's the TED Ed video from uh, mm-hmm. what is dyslexia? Is that what it's called? Yes, Kelly Sandman yes. and. It's You said that before, Kelly Sandman. Yeah, it's like, the TED-Ed I don't know what that is. It is the TED-Ed. Well, I just know that's <laughs> the, the TED-Ed. I, okay, it's the TED-Ed.
1: Whenever I have to Google it because I've lost it again, <laughs> I just yeah. Google dyslexia Kelly Sandman and it pops up. Yeah. That's the only reason oh, okay, I know. Okay, good. Because I was,
0: I was going to ask and then I was <laughs> yeah. like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the ted ed but yeah okay, it's
1: okay. kelly sandman is the kelly sandman is the the creator of the ted ed because i got gotcha. you okay. because i have
3: to google it that way and i shared that gotcha. video for years with parents but i it never even occurred to me to share it with the kids and i thought oh my gosh how powerful would that have been because i think they're yeah. so ready to learn that stuff and they that's they bury these questions so deep down inside of them. I just think that that was a wonderful thing for you to do with for them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. One of the things that it made easier
1: is the sand because, um, obviously I don't have enough sand for 30 kids. Um, you know, I got, I've got my tent. you know, I'm mm-hmm. stretching it at that. But once I explained to them like this, when we, when it talked about that tactile, this is that tactile to visual and we're actually going to be building up that visual side of your brain with the sand and this is the connection it made all the difference because at first it was like it was what are you teaching me the baby stuff here and mm-hmm. I, once i showed the video and i'm like this is why i said i know you guys are going to think i'm nuts I said, but you have to bear with me. You have to bear with me because I will promise you it will work.
3: Yeah, and I can definitely and see that talking them through, you know, every part of the lesson, the five-part lesson plan that you do with them, you just why? have to incorporate that why and absolutely yeah. everything and you're hook, you know, then they'll do it for you and understand yep. the behind the reason, the behind the curtain, why I have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then once I, the- I think that's, was-
1: Once they find success, then, then it's easy, but it's that initial, that initial hook-in was, it was, it was, I won't say it was easy. Um, And it took, and even if, even after I got a lot of them hooked in, there was still those, there's still those stragglers who, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, they didn't want to be, yeah, yeah. Too cool for school. Mm -hmm. Um, And for, but for the most part now, um, and once like now they're spelling like, three four syllable words and it's like oh I can I actually can do this you mean that that's pretty
3: easy to do isn't what it are you, so that success breeds what success. kind of things are you using to promote their fluency about you know we have the decodables but and I even took the decodables and just typed them on a word document and you know separate them to make them look more mature than they were in the packets mm-hmm. you know but are yes. what are some other things that you put together to in that area of the lesson? Well, one of the good things is about older readers who, (laughs) older readers who struggle
1: have a huge number of words memorized. Um, They have a tremendous number of words memorized. Their sight vocabulary is ridiculous, which is challenging because um, when I go to do dictation, I have to be sure, even doing syllabication, I have to choose words that, are not completely familiar to them because otherwise they'll just say that word is this and they won't even
0: go through the steps of decoding. And so, do you think feel like you have to like break a habit at that yes. point with a known word, if you use that word?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I do, mm-hmm. I found some good resources. We do a lot of word reading um, with, I am, I do have to use um, our school, our text, um, that's part of what I have to do. So we do have to do some comprehension through the text. But one of the things that I've been doing with them is um, we do sentence reading and we do use the decodable readers um, to some extent. Um, they, that, I will say that piece is the hardest piece with the older kids mm-hmm. because the, the reading is much much too simple for them, simplistic um, except for the words they don't know. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, it's that, so we go through that pretty quickly, but what I've been doing is we try. I think one of the things that they'll get the most benefit from is the text that is the required text. Um, there, for instance, my seventh graders are reading a long walk to water. And so I actually, um, take the text and we break it into pieces and I have them because one they hate reading aloud with a passion um, but I still have them read aloud and one of the reasons what we do is we do practice and preparation and so during practice and preparation they have to go in and actually syllabicate words and then they have to practice reading those words syllabicated and then they have to practice reading their They're, they're part of the passage. Usually it only amounts to about a paragraph, but, and then, and then we read aloud for fluency, but um, that practice and preparation piece really is the biggest part because I feel like it's bringing together of, it's not controlled text by any stretch, um, but it does allow them to do a practical application of um, the syllabication and all of the different skills that we've been working on. So then they, and then they read out loud. Um, and it's kind of taken away a little bit of their fear of reading out loud. Um, and I sent an email, I don't know how well it was received. Um, but I did send an email to the content area teachers saying, please, if you have any of my students, let them know before, if you're planning on reading out loud, let my kids know what their part is. Yeah, that's
0: yeah, a, that's great a great heads up for them so that's
2: still the thing i can remember from school is the the being so afraid to read out loud and make a mistake and um and i was a good reader i was not i didn't struggle with reading but i was still so worried about being judged for misreading something and that's a big fear for even kids who aren't in special ed you know so so that's great i love to hear that you're doing it and that's
1: really where i think they've gotten the most fluency practice and it was funny because i didn't it didn't it's one of those things kind of built out of necessity you know that happens those happy accidents that happen in the classroom where you're like i've got to get them you know and i i was very frustrated and i still am to some extent because their fluency is like the last thing to come along and it's and it is dragging so much as far as their comprehension is still really good. And, you know, when it's read out loud and they are getting there, but their fluency is that one thing that drags so much. And um, I was, I was kind of, okay, take the weight, you know, the elephant off my back when I was reading um, part of the Shaywitz books. And she was talking about how kids with dyslexia may never become fluent readers. And I was like, Okay, I'm not a complete mess up.
0: <laughs> no, far from it.
2: No,
3: Cheryl.
2: So um, now, so we all know um, that you were instrumental in in um, calling our attention to the need uh, to impl- in, include Greek and Latin roots um, in instruction with older kids, and so um, so Cheryl was the person who. Um, Kind of con, you know, talked to Lori and contacted Lori and talked about, um, you know, her students and how much they benefit from that, and then, um, and then, and then, eventually getting structures um, on the on the boards there. But can you um, uh, elaborate on that on that process and how much were you um, how much were you using Greek and Latin roots before we officially made it? a program did you kind of have your own program that you were kind of putting together and that's what we used <laughs> our program on or how how did that uh
1: well I was teaching elementary school so i uh when i dropped when i went from high school then i went to elementary school i became certified to teach elementary school and i stayed there for probably about 10 years probably about somewhere around 10 years and my children my own children grew up and they were going to middle school and one was in middle school, one was starting high school. And, um, I just had to hit a point and I, I have a little bit of ADHD when <laughs> I always need something new and different to challenge me. And so, um, I was just ready for a change of career and change and a change of my life. And my best friend's husband was going to work at our local high school as assistant principal. And I had taught both of her boys. And he is, let's just say, he, he, says, he says very flattering things about me. So I was like, okay, I can get this job. Um, so I thought, okay, man, I'm gonna go try. I'm gonna, I, I just felt like, I knew my own son was starting high school and I knew he was not a fluent reader by a long shot. And I knew he could not be the only one. Um, so I said, you know what? I want to go see if I can teach high school. I want to go see if this will work with, this is really what kids need. And so, um, I went and I interviewed with my friend's husband and the principal of the school and I loved him. He was wonderful. And, um, when I was interviewing, he said the most beautiful words any teacher can ever hope to hear because he asked me, um, or I asked him what program, that he expected me to use because I had some serious reservations about so many high school intervention programs. He said the most beautiful words to me, which were, you're the expert. You tell me. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just, I just felt like, you know, sun shining down from heaven. It was like that, that perfect moment. And so um, I did, I went and I thought, okay, I'm going to teach them to decode. And I actually did start with decoding with them too, except that they were, I would say even much more challenging students than I am teaching now. They were um, high school, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, some seniors who had been in intervention for 11 years who had no clue about reading. I mean, they and they were all, I would say second and third grade level readers. They, as soon as, you know, not knowing sight words, you know, became necessary, they stalled. So there was tremendous behavior issues. Um, I had um, quite a few legitimate gang members in my class. They were, they were some really challenging kids. Mm-hmm. So I felt like cat was not going to work with them. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I got them, uh, I won't say it happened overnight and I didn't know the research. So if I had, had to had the research, then it probably would have been a different deal. But um I was really just kind of like okay well just doing phonics first was not enough because they would not do it with me um mm-hmm. as soon as i showed them how to decode multi-syllable words i had a lot of them they were like what what that's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that kind of got them to buy in, but as far as developing automaticity with the sounds, um, they didn't really have that. And that was, that was where I was really struggling. And so to get them to the point where I could say, a is, ah, say it with me. Um, I was like, okay, I've got to fool them into doing this. And so I was like, okay, well, it's high school. So, you know, they're gonna be needing Greek and Latin roots for um, the SATs. And so I was like, okay, well, ah, graph, okay. (laughs) So I was like, okay, say this with me, graph. Notice with the vowel, ah, my mouth is. And so I just kind of like, okay, graph, ah. And so for all, it was really the vowels, the consonants were pretty solid, like we see with so many kids. And so um, really focusing on those vowels at first. And so what I did then was, okay, well, here's our root graph. And I just kind of attached a root to each of the skills. So as we went through, I was like, okay, well, let's see. Ah, Oh, let's do the prefix con. (laughs) And so it was, it was very much uh, kind of pulled together. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly what it was now. Um, And, but my kids were making such good progress. I, I just, it was it was exactly what they needed, and so
2: yeah, you gave meaning to things. Mm-hmm. You gave it meaning. Yeah, and I it was
1: um, it was that not babying it down thing. I think that you right, know kind of got right. them into it.
2: The phonics, the phonics was snuck yeah, in. Yeah,
1: that's what it was.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, because I'm sure you you prefaced it by saying, "Oh, we're going to learn a, a morpheme, or we're going to learn a root." Yeah. Um, and in order to read the root, let's read the root. And if and he, you know, I love it. Yeah, I love how they perfect. And then. That's kind of the way to sneak in phonics um, as a secondary. Yeah. Um, From their perspective, the that's the secondary piece, but the the most important piece is the meaning of the root. That's yeah, and
1: then well, and then like we would talk. Okay, well, listen to graph. Okay. It has a, it has a sound, but that's a pH. And then we would just make connections. And so that's really what it was about was kind of teaching them about the English language, really. Um, you know, just that whole lexicology part of it. And so it, it really, it really changed. I mean, I won't say I fixed any of those kids, um, but they just made so much progress and it was, Mm -hmm. it was quite gratifying. And, um, Lori and Evelyn came down. Um, Evelyn's the founder of the company and Lori, of course, right-hand woman and Lori and Evelyn came down and they actually came to my old elementary school because this was probably 10 years after they had taught us phonics first and it was still going strong. And in fact, there's only a handful of teachers now who are still at that school, you know, 25 years later and whichever ones were trained that are still teaching still use phonics first, but, uh, so Lori and Evelyn came down to see just how well it was going at my old elementary school. When they got there, the person who had taken over my job was like, oh, and who was also a dear friend of mine, um, Diane. And she said, you know, you've got to, um, you got to go see Cheryl. She's doing phonics first with high school students. And I went over and visited with Lori and Evelyn, who by that time had become friends as well. <laughs> and so um they came back to my school with me and we talked about what I was doing and uh, they were both like, this is what we need to, we need to pursue this. We need to get this done further. And um, so I flew up to Michigan and uh, basically we just, Lori and I sat in, a little dark office in that old office building of ours <laughs> and um, in that old, old office building, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was a cold and wintry Michigan day, rainy and freezing and dark. <laughs> and we sat there for, I think about three or four days. And we just literally just brainstorming combined and t- Lori took pages and pages of notes. And um, then she sat down and somehow put it all together.
2: Yeah. Somehow. somehow p- for yeah. Sure. Cause I, it still no, boggles it's a my mind program. It's monumental. It, it's it, it, two volumes, two yeah. volumes, not just one, two. And as much it's as used. even,
1: I mean, I, as a, as an instructor, I loved the new books, but as a teacher, yeah. I love it even more. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. As a teacher, I love it even more. Cause it's just, you know, I can literally, you know, flip over page, put a post-it on it and I'm ready to roll. And
0: mm-hmm. yes, so, yes,
1: yes, yes. so wonderful.
2: Well, thank you, Cheryl, for, for, um, for, for contacting them because I love structures. Yes. I love that. It's amazing. You. And um, you know, what would happen if you had never, what would we have done
0: without you? Right? <laughs> and can I just say as like a side note, and I will say thank you too, because I love that program and I love teaching it. I don't teach it nearly as often like to teachers as like Esther and Ingrid, but every time I do, teachers go crazy over it. They love it. And it's fun to teach too, actually. It's It's a lot, a lot of fun to use with students
2: and to teach to teachers. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us. Cause you know what, we we, we are our friend and we've worked with you and we, we love you. Um, but we also am thankful for, uh, all the stuff that you've done to make these wonderful, pro- help make these wonderful programs. So thank you so much for
0: joining us. Th- yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. That was so much fun. I loved talking to you. <laughs> thank you all mm-hmm. so much. I had a great time. you will have a wonderful night.
2: Thanks, Cheryl. You too.
1: You Bye-bye. Too. Bye. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Orton Gillingham podcast. If you like what you heard um, and you'd like to hear more of it, make sure you like us, subscribe to us and share. Thank you.